0: And uh, so I am reading Psalm 32 this morning. This is God's word. This is a Psalm of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression, uh, sin—sorry, whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Pray with me as we come to God's word. Lord, I pray that as we open your word, that you would open our hearts. Or um, we know that uh, these words are the very power of life itself. And we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to uh, give us clarity and understanding, give us insight. Um, and especially, Lord, bring us the, the, the conviction of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, today, what I want to do is I want to look with you at uh, this psalm to get a picture of what it's like to experience God through repentance. And uh, repentance is one of those things that nobody really likes to talk about, let alone do. Uh, Because it just seems so negative, I guess. Um, Our our experience tells us that repentance is only uh, for people who've really screwed up, right? Uh, Repentance is only for the really big things, uh, for the messy, for the really broken. And so most of us avoid trying to go there unless we absolutely have to. Because nobody likes to admit that they're a failure, Nobody likes to own up to the fact that you screwed up uh, again. Um, And so we either try to be good enough so that we don't have to run to repentance because it's just a bad place, we think, or we cover it up in other ways. We make excuses about it. uh, We blame others. We justify our actions. We explain why we did it. Anything but repent. Repent. Uh, But for the Christian, for the one who really understands the gospel, all of life is repentance. And though repentance is painful, it is a death, it is good. It is refreshing. It's like the air of life coming back into your lungs. Because uh, one of the things I want you to understand as we go into this passage is that repentance is is not just a way that you can experience God. Repentance is the way that you experience God. In fact, it's, it's the only way that you can experience God. Uh, Christianity is the one place in the world where you only gain admittance by admitting how completely wrong that you've been. I mean, there's no way in unless you own up to the fact that I've been wrong about myself, I've been wrong about God, I've been wrong about the world— I'm totally messed up. Now, Psalm 32 deals with this, and I want to break it up just this way so you can follow me, I'll tell you. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4, uh, look at the power of guilt, and then we'll go back to the first two verses and we'll look at the power of repentance, and then we'll just kind of survey the whole psalm and get a picture of the process of how it works. So first of all, the power of, uh, of guilt. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Right. The first thing that David tells us here is, is that guilt often produces physical symptoms. Right. And, and you probably know this very well. A- any of you who have ever suffered under extreme guilt know exactly what that feels like. I, I recall a time when I was I can't remember. It must have been six or seven years old. And uh, I grew up in in, uh, Florida. And we had windows in our house that I don't know how else to describe them. We called them Florida windows. They were just slats of glass uh, louver that would fold on each other because the only thing you had to keep out was the rain, uh, not the cold. And like every six- or seven-year-old, I made my daily trek to climb the roof up the TV antenna because that's what you do when you're six or seven and I remember one day climbing uh, my usual routine up to the roof uh, to throw rocks off of it because it was just asphalt with rocks on it. Um, I stepped on one of those panels and I broke it and uh, and I hid it in the bushes. Um, and I re- still to this day remember the guilt. I remember the fear. Um, it, it just made me feel sick to my stomach, um, you know, and being Found out by my dad and being spanked immediately would have been such a relief. And actually, I planned on that happening. I couldn't wait for that process to unfold. I knew it was coming uh, until someone made the assumption that somebody was trying to break into the house. And then it was my sister's bedroom and someone was peeking in and all of a sudden the consequences got ratcheted up big time. And I was just wallowing in sickening guilt. Uh, There was a fear that I could taste in my mouth. And so I thought I'd just keep silent about it. Um, And to be honest, I never actually confessed that to my sister or to my father until I was about 40 or 45. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, guilt can have physical symptoms. And they can be very, very powerful. But the second thing he tells us here is that that sense of guilt just, it, it doesn't go away. He says he's obsessed with his guilt. All day long, he's trying to get it out of his mind. And you know what it's like. You're, you know, you're trying to get something that you did out of your head. Uh, you know, I just want it out of my mind. I want to think about it. And you're walking along, and something just triggers it. Suddenly, something that you see or experience, it just plays back that memory in, in your mind. And your throat starts to constrict, and your, and cold sweat starts forming, I mean, you know the feeling, right? Guilt. And not only are there physical symptoms and uh, not only are there obsessions about it that just won't go away, but David goes on to say, your your hand was heavy upon me, which I think is his way of saying, I, I sense this separation from God, this sense that somehow, even if I don't believe in God, that someone somewhere is displeased with me. This innate sense that something inside me is just disordered. Something's not right. I feel feel lost. I feel feel cut off. That's why when we're feeling guilty, we go to dark places and hide. I want to be alone. You know, you don't do something sinful and go out and boast about it in community. You want to hide. C.S. Lewis, I think, put this so well. He says, at present, we are on the outside, the wrong side of the door. We discern the fresh, freshness and the purity of the morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the pleasures that we see. And he said guilt is what keeps us in that sense of hiding, right? Only sharing the parts of us with other people that feel safe. I mean, think about it. Why is it that whenever, I mean, it's just a common thing in Tennessee. How you doing? Fine. I mean, without even thinking, you say, Fine. Your life may be a mess. You may be on the verge of tears. You may be broke, and your car is just blown up, and everything's falling apart. And I guarantee you, you will say, Fine, doing good. How about you? Right? You only share the parts that you feel are safe. And it's what keeps us at distance from each other. It's what makes us feel so guarded. Sometimes it's what makes us feel so, so moody and, and even depressed. Um, it's why a lot of us, especially when you're younger, like to stay up late, right? There's nothing like the dark to be able to hide. And David says, when I covered my sin, when I kept silent, my, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to the groaning, to that sense that something's just not right because I've just blown it again. Now, the call here in this psalm is to repent. But covering is what we normally do rather than repenting. And there's so, so many ways that we do that. We blame shift. It, it, it's not my fault. You know, he made me do it or the circumstances were so bad, I had no choice, I just had to do it. We, um, we define it away. Well, you know, it's, it's not really that bad. I mean, everybody's doing it. It's kind of accepted these days. Um, you can deaden yourself to it. You can medicate it away. You can shop it away. You can get drunk. You can do something pleasurable so you don't have to think about it. You know, you can run to sex, all sorts of things. I just don't want to think about it. I'm just going to run to something else, and it'll go away. You can criticize or gossip or run other people down. You can, you know, try to lessen your indiscretions by pointing out those really bad sinners out there. And at least I'm not like that, right? Or or maybe it's even your cynicism, cynicism of the system, of of politics, of all the crooks in Washington, you know, and their blatant failures just make us feel better about our lesser indiscretions. Because as long as they're lying and sleeping around and greedy and so lustful for power— I mean, as long as it's less than mine, it covers my sense of guilt. You can use your achievements. You can deal with your guilt by saying, look at all the good things that I've done. I mean, sure, I did this little thing, but look at all the great things that I've accomplished. You can give generously. I mean, why do the largest givers always have their names on the new hospital wing? Why do all the sponsors of the newest PBS shows I always have their names listed. And Donald Prebis. He's always right there at the top of the list. I hope he's not here today. Um, You know, we always want to have our names attached to things. It's a way of covering. We have this sense of guilt. And we want to cover it away. There's even Christian versions of it. You can do penitence. You can beat yourself up when you do wrong and try to atone uh, for your wrongs by saying, I know what I did was wrong, but... I, I must be a good moral Christian because look how miserable I'm acting here. Look how bad I feel about what I've done. Now, there's all sorts of things you can run to, but they have one thing in common. They don't work. They just don't work. And what we're told here is the one thing that does work with that heavy sense of guilt, and that's repentance. Let's take a look here quickly at the power of repentance. Verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions, uh, his transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. What's the power of repentance? Now I want you to notice a a contrast here. Verse five: I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. Okay, notice the connection. In verse one, he says, "Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven." Whose sin is covered. So, verse 5, he says, I uncovered my sin. Verse 1, he says, God covered my sin. And if you want to understand the power of repentance, there it is. It has to do with covering, which gets us, I think, back to the original root of all of our problem. Um, This is getting, I think, to the root of what guilt is all about. Uh, Remember how the story of humanity starts in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I mean, Adam and Eve met up with God every night. Can you imagine hanging with God every night, chatting with Him? Um, Naked and uncovered, we're told, and they didn't even notice. Uh, It was always okay. And one night, God shows up, and they dive into the bushes, and they hide. And God says, what's wrong? And what do Adam and Eve say? We're hiding because we're naked. And God essentially says... But, but, Adam, you're, you're always naked. <laughs> Every night, you're naked. And it's never been a problem before. What's going on? And this is what it was. That when he sinned, Adam couldn't stand transparency. When they sinned, they couldn't take their nakedness. And if you think about it, I mean, nakedness is essentially being completely vulnerable. I mean, you can't control what people see when you're naked. Makeup doesn't help much with nakedness. Nakedness can't do much about fat, right? Nakedness means you have no control over what people see. People see you all the way in. You've lost control, right? You can't spin it with your designer clothes and your great personality and your nice car. They see you right on through. And and you see, until you sin, there's no problem with that. I mean, why was it suddenly… Adam and Eve couldn't stand being looked at. Why did they have to hide even from each other to control what people saw of them? Because when they decided to sin, it was a conscious decision to take control of their own lives. And when, let me put it this way, have you ever had a job that you felt totally unqualified for? I mean, you were deep in over your head from day one no idea what you were doing. And you're scared, right? You're defensive. You hate people looking over your shoulder to see what you're doing, looking to see how you've made the decisions that you've made. And you see, when you decide to be the Lord of your own life, when you decide to be the God of your own world, you just know deep in your heart of hearts that you're just not qualified for the job. You know you're not capable. The way the uh, theologians put it is, The reason Adam and Eve ducked was because they lost the clothing that they had before, which was their original righteousness. You see, Adam and Eve didn't mind what God saw in them. They didn't mind what each other saw because they were clothed with moral beauty. And they just knew they were beautiful inside and out. And so they didn't mind being seen. But the minute they lost that clothing... The moment they lost that righteous covering, they couldn't stand being seen. And so they began to cover themselves. And to be honest, one of the most profound things in the Bible is to learn to understand yourself in the light of Genesis chapter 3. I mean, look at your life. Why are some of you perfectionists? Why do some of you drink too much? Why are some of you so concerned about your body and how you look? Why do some of you overwork so much? Why do some of you have uh, the spiritual gift of criticism? (laughs) You know, so cynical about everything. You're, You're covering. You're trying to cover your nakedness. You're trying to make your own patchwork clothes out of these things to recapture that sense of beauty that you know is lost and to deal with this loss of beauty that we all feel which we, you know, desperately hide from everybody. And we don't want them to see who we really are down inside because we know that if they saw us for who we really were, they would reject us because we know we're ugly. We know we're broken. We know we're messed up. We're always trying to spin everything in our favor to make us look better than we really are, to sound better than we're really doing. Listen, God says to Adam and Eve, if you cover yourself... I'll never be able to cover you. But if you're willing to be naked with me again, if you're willing to own up to your sin, then I will truly, truly cover you again perfectly. See, if you cover yourself with all these various things, God says, I'll have to expose you. But if you expose yourself to me, I will cover you. And and listen, the Bible is just filled with this kind of language. Ezekiel... Chapter 16, just one example, alluding to the fact that in those days uh, when babies were born, very often if it was a girl, they would just throw it out to die. Uh, They were not valuable. And in that context, God says this, "'Jerusalem, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, "'nor were you washed with water to make you clean, "'nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. "'No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. "'Rather, you were thrown out into the open field.'" Uh, For on the day that you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, Live. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because of the splendor I had given you to make your beauty perfect, declares the Sovereign Lord. And how can God actually do that for mess-ups like us? He says to Adam and Eve, If you expose yourself, I will cover you and make you beautiful again. I'll give you back that moral beauty that you lost. And you won't have to spend your entire life Desperately trying to cover yourself, trying to deal with that deep sense of shame. And it's incredibly important to see that so much of our lives, so many of our obsessions, so many of our hobbies and our, our quirks, our, our, our passions, are really strategies for sowing fig leaves. To throw together garments that can cover that sense of lost righteousness And God says, I can give it back to you as a gift, but only if you admit that you don't have it and only if you stop striving to try to make your own, right? And if you keep on with all these obsessive self-coverings, I'm going to have to expose you. The prophet Isaiah talks about uh, this way. He says, I'll rejoice. I'll rejoice for you have clothed me with the garments of salvation. And wrap me with the robe of righteousness. That's what God promises. How in the world can he do that for mess-ups like us? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 4 when he's quoting this psalm, Psalm 32. And this is what he says. He says, To the one who does not work, but who trusts in God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. It's the same thing David says here. Blessed are those Whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And you see, even though David can't quite understand how in the world God could pull this off, he understands that what God is offering is an exchange of his feeble efforts at self covering for a covering where the sin is actually gone, where the Lord will never count against him the things that he's done, because it's sent. Somewhere else, and we know it's because that sin has been imputed to Jesus, who was clothed with perfect righteousness, and in his for us and in his death for us, he placed that perfect robe of righteousness around us as a covering. And he himself was stripped naked and was clothed, in a sense, with our sin. I mean, you ever think about this? Why? Why does the Bible go into so much detail about Jesus in his death being stripped naked? About the fact that they were casting lots for his garment? And I think the reason it does is because it's reminding us that he was made naked so we could be clothed in his righteousness. Now, let me be really practical here as we close. I know Luke goes on for hours. I won't. All right, let me be practical here. what does all this mean? Uh, that genuine repentance is a, a covering. And let me just run through a few things real quickly. Repentance is not running around beating yourself up saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll change, I'll try harder. No, it goes something like this. Uh, verse two, first thing, no deceit, right? First thing, be honest, right? No more deception, no more games. No more deceiving yourself, all right? No more deceiving anybody else. So the first thing he says is be real, be honest, be transparent. You are a screw-up. Everybody else can see it. Own up to it, all right? Second thing he says, real quick, I'll move ahead. Verses 3 and 4, see the danger of sin. I mean, think about it. If you want to repent, you have to admit to yourself that deep down, you're already dealing with the crippling effects of guilt in your life. And the reason that your bones feel like they're wasting away at times, the reason for much of the groaning about life, the reason you often feel strapped of strength. I mean, don't over-psychologize this stuff. It could simply be that underneath, it's your sense of nakedness, a desperate desire to cover it over. And think of the danger of that. You're never going to be able to deal with it through blame-shifting or through overwork, or through partying, or through shopping. It just won't go away like that. So first of all, be honest. Secondly, think of the danger of the coverings that you've gotten used to as being normal. All right, thirdly, verse 5. Make sure that you really uncover yourself before God, but with a view to what's in verse 7, hiding in God. You see, in verse 5 it says, I acknowledged my sin, I did not cover up my iniquity, but you've got to realize that repentance is more than just admitting that your behavior was wrong. See, down in verse 7, he says, you are my hiding place. And if you really want to repent, it's not enough just to say, I did something wrong. You have to ask yourself, well, why did I do that wrong thing? Right? And the answer is always not just simply, oh, I broke a rule. I broke the lying rule, for example. But the real answer is that I'm trying to cover my nakedness. I'm hiding myself in something. I'm trying to clothe myself with something. And only he can be my hiding place. Only he can be my clothing. Only he can cover my nakedness. Only he can make me beautiful again. For example, let's just say you did lie about something, and you can say, okay, that's wrong. I mean, yeah, you broke the lying rule. Did it? But it's not enough simply to say, Lord, I lied, I'm sorry. Please help me. Please forgive me. You have to ask yourself, why did I lie? You lied because something else is your hiding place and you're trying to protect it. I mean, it could be anything. But something has become a way for you to clothe yourself. And you've got to be careful here because it's even possible to go to God in repentance, actually trying to cover yourself. In a sense, trying to create moral fig leaves from being so sorry And saying, Lord, I want to show you just how miserable I am. In a sense, you're covering yourself with the penance of your sorrow instead of letting Him cover you with His grace. And listen, because of that, there's an important distinction to understand here because Christians don't just repent of their sins. I mean, Pharisees repent of their sins, religious people repent of their sins, Mormons, Jews, Muslims, they all repent of their sins. But a Christian also repents of their righteousness. You see, the difference between a Christian and a moralist is not in how they uh, repent for their sinful bad behavior. They both do that. But you see, a Christian goes underneath and repents even for the good things that you're doing as ways to clothe yourself through your own efforts instead of just relying upon what Jesus has done for you. And that's the reason why that the sin underneath all sins is always a failure to rest in the grace of Jesus. It's always found in the many ways that we're hiding ourselves in our morality and our busyness and our responsibility. You see, all of these are good things that make us feel good about ourselves, that give us respectability with our world. And they often make us impatient and condescending toward others who can't keep up. You see, there's a repentance that says... Lord, I blew it again, and now you're not going to bless me. Now you're not going to love me. Now you probably won't answer my prayers. And there's a repentance that says, Oh, Lord, I've not been willing to admit just how much you love me, and I've been running to other things again. And you see, the minute you do that second repentance, it melts you. I mean, sure, it makes you feel bad, but the minute it makes you feel bad, it also lifts you up because it reminds you of just how much that he loves you. And therefore, what you've really got to learn to do is not just uncover your sin by repenting of the action. I did it. Here's a list of things that I did. But you actually have to hide yourself in him. You have to ask yourself, what have I been hiding myself in? I mean, it's not you, God, or I wouldn't have done this. So be honest. Think of the danger of the coverings that you're running to. Uncover the behavior. Don't just stop with the. Fact that I did this sin or that sin, why did I do it? And then hide yourself in Him. All right. And how do I do that? Verse ten: Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the Lord's steadfast love surrounds the man who trusts in Him. How can you be sure that God will forgive you when you really blew it again and again and again? He says here, His unfailing, steadfast love. You have to think about His oath. You have to think about his promises. You have to look at the cross. You have to see that Jesus was willing to go to hell for you rather than lose you. These are not just empty words. He gave his very life. All right? One, two, three, sixthly. sixthly, Verse 8. This is God speaking to the penitent. See, David says in verse 7, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. And then in verse 8, God responds. By saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Which basically is his way of saying, I'm going to watch over you. Then he says, do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they won't come to you. See, that's God speaking. And, and, and what he says is, don't be like a horse. Or in modern vernacular, don't be an ass. All right? You know, God's basically saying, all right, you showed up with your guilt. You showed up saying, I'm sorry for what I've done, but why are you here? Why are you repenting? Are you here simply because you're sad about the consequences of your sin? You see, real repentance isn't being sad about the consequences of your sin, right? Oh, I screwed up. Now my life's all messed up. Now things aren't going to go well for me, right? Real repentance is over the sin itself. And I want you to think about why. The... the because the consequences of sin is what hurts you. But the sin itself is what hurts God. And if you fill your mind enough with his steadfast love, you will find yourself going to him melted by your disobedience. So that it melted that you could forget his great love for you. And see, to the degree that the gospel sinks into your heart that way, you'll begin to see sins not as occasional slip-ups. You won't see um, repentance as failures that just torture you, like it's some sort of death that robs the breath from your body. Repentance that feels so unnatural and so bad. But you see, to the degree the gospel begins to settle in your heart, you'll come to see repentance is starting to breathe again. Repentance is like waking up from a dream and remembering, oh yeah, that's why I have a relationship with God. It's it's not my performance, it's His performance. It's not my promises to Him, it's His promises to me. It's not my past, it's His past. It's not my record that I built, it's His record given to me. And even when you understand that, the consequences of sin won't even scare you. In fact, there's a sense in which you'll say, bring them on. Frankly, I need some consequences, I need some accountability because it drives me out of myself and back to Jesus, which means you'll not be like a horse or a mule that has to be dragged kicking and screaming back to God through the consequences of your sin, but rather you can repent quickly, you can repent joyfully, you can repent immediately, you can repent constantly, because all of life is repentance. And you actually look forward to it. And listen, you you know that you've met somebody who understands and engages in this kind of repentance when you meet them because they're so humble. They're so soft. I mean, criticism doesn't make them defensive. They aren't always beating themselves up over their failures. They just smile and say, if you only knew, I'm far more screwed up than you ever could imagine. But I'm blessed. Because... My sins are forgiven. My sins are covered. My sins are no longer counted against me. Repentance is not a death. Something that sucks the air and the life out of your lungs. It's the refreshing air of life coming back into your body. For the Christian, all of life is repentance. Learn to repent as often as you breathe. Learn to rest in the covering that He gives you in Jesus. Let go of all the other silly coverings that you're desperate to try to make fig leaves out of. And let Him and nothing else be your hiding place. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for um, the beauty of the Gospel. And thank You for the love of Jesus. Thank You that You would be our covering and you would be our hiding place. Lord, forgive us for running to so many other things to hide ourselves in instead of you. Um, It's no wonder our lives are so dark and messed up uh, because we have little saviors that can't save us. And I pray that you would lead us and teach us how to rest in repentance so that we can have the air of life, the breath of the Spirit blowing through our bodies. And we can find our hiding place in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.